Hey loves, this is Constance of First Generation Healers Podcast, where we look at a variety of modalities for healing because one size doesn't fit all. You can meet all the gurus, all the light workers, but it's so important you find the ultimate one is within you. Today we're talking with Teresa Maywood. She is an intimacy coach who helps women in business have a hot marriage full of connection and great sex. If you're in a sexless marriage after kids, this podcast is for you. A lot of sex coaches out there focus on what is your partner doing wrong, and I love that you empower women to think about what can I do right now, and I also love that you debunk right away that as a sex coach, it's not like you're having sex every night, every minute. I get it all the time. Like, oh, I bet you're going to go home and like jump your husband. I'm like, hell no, it's Tuesday. I got shit to do. I'm like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> they all think that. In fact, somebody was like mad at me. It was like, I can't believe you say that you're having all this sex. There's no way that Dave's doing that. I'm like, I never fucking said that. I love how you talk about how it's more about quality than quantity with sex and marriage. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that I needed to talk about that until I started to talk about it. And then people were like, oh my gosh, I thought you were having like all this crazy sex all the time. And I thought that I needed to be doing it several times a week. I'm like, ooh, no. Plus, like, I feel like it gets diluted if you're doing it like every night, like, I mean, that would be fun. It totally would. But it's personally, if it's going to be amazing, it's it's kind of time consuming. And I just feel like it isn't very realistic when you have kids. You know, I really didn't know that people thought that. So I started talking about it and they're like, oh, I thought you guys were like doing it all the time. I'm like, hell no. <laughs> no, like once a week. But it's fucking amazing every single time. And do you just wait to see when you're going to have sex or do you find that you have to actually plan it out? We totally plan it out. We have to. Otherwise it won't happen. It'd be like, oh, do you want to tonight? Like, no, I'm really tired. Like, okay. I mean, our kids are in like every sport and we have something going on almost every night and he works a really laborious job. So we literally plan it out. Like, hey, how about Tuesday? Part of it that's fun is like getting ready for it, like shaving your legs and like getting excited about it and then talking about it all day. Like, oh, I can't wait for tonight. And so we totally planned it out. And I know it sounds super unsexy, but it's just the season of life we're in and we just have to. And then we plan accordingly. Like, okay, I have to make sure I get enough sleep. You know, I have to make sure that the kids are where they need to be by this time. And there's a lot of freaking planning that goes into it, but it's fucking worth it. So worth it. I completely agree with you because if you don't plan it, then you're just not going to have sex that week. You can go weeks without. Also, I mean, it's not like we always plan it. Like, of course, we'll do like some quickies here and there. But for the most part, our kids are 9 and 11. So it's not like they need constant attention, but it's also not like they don't know what's happening. So we kind of have to just be mindful and find that sweet spot, you know? Could you tell me about your journey and how it led to you helping women in sexless marriages? I think I was very average, very normal. Have kids. I had two babies back to back, two kids in two years. I guess it kind of happens where, you know, I was pregnant and I just, that was like the last thing I wanted. Your body isn't your own. And then even after the babies come, your body still kind of isn't your own. Your, your baby's need 100% care. That was my main thing. It was like, I have to take care of these babies, feeling good about myself. And especially like trying to keep the spark going was the last thing on my mind. Like the very last thing, like, Oh God, really? You really want it again? My God, I'm tired. I, you know, my kids have been 
spitting up all day, changed a hundred diapers today. And my husband is super hands-on. He always has been, he always has done at least 50% of the, you know, the load. I think once we started like just forgetting about it, forgetting about each other, it just grew and grew and grew and created a bigger rift between us. And it was really starting to cause problems, especially for him. Like I was fine. I was like, whatever, you know, it's just like, I didn't even think about it. We didn't talk about it either. So there was definitely an elephant in the room during like a little argument. It would turn into like a big argument. And then that's what it would turn into. Like, well, you don't even try. It's not, it's like, you don't even like me anymore. And I'm like, of course I like you. I just don't have any desire to, you know, get naked. Just, I just don't really want to. That kept happening over and over those same arguments. And every time I would agree, like, you know, you're right. This is something that I want. It's my body's like turned off. But let me work on it. Let me keep trying. Let me keep putting some effort here. And just that same conversation over and over and over. And then eventually we had that huge fight where he was like, you keep saying the same thing that you're going to make an effort, but you really never do. I'm like, but I can't help it. And that was a really big turning point in our marriage. And I was like, this man is, he doesn't deserve this. He's going to find somebody else that's going to fill these needs. I love this man. I care about him and I really do want this. And so I kind of just started doing the inner work and that's, it just grew and grew and it made us so much closer. And it's not about the sex like at all. I mean, the sex is amazing for sure. It's about like being able to communicate these really intimate topics that you never talk about with anybody else. It brings you closer together. And it totally strengthened our relationship and it just keeps getting better and better, seriously. And like I said, it's not about the sex, but it kind of is because that's what makes us intimately connected more than, you know, any other thing in the relationship. And having that intimate connection is unique to just him and I. He doesn't have that same connection with anybody else and either do I. So that's what makes it different. You know what I mean? And that is his love language above anything else that is his number one is sex. It's really important to him. And it's important for me to connect with him that way. And I like it. You know, what's your love language? Oh, I've tried to nail it down. I feel like they're all, I, I love them all. I really need, I need to be told I'm pretty. <laughs> I mean, I need, um, touch. I love gifts, acts of service. I just, I could, I don't even know if I had to pick one. I guess if I had to pick one, probably be maybe words of affirmation, just feeling appreciated and being told those things. I don't know why. I don't know if it's like an insecurity thing or maybe that's just, you know, how I am. I wanted to go over the question that I saw in your one video because it meant so much to me to see that. And I've seen so much change with myself. When you um, asked yourself years ago, what would I do if tomorrow my husband, my partner was no longer in the picture? What if he just up and left? Who would I be? Instead of waiting for your entire relationship to fall apart, why do that when you can, you know, it's not the relationship that actually needs the work. It's you both have to do your own work. Yeah. Um, actually, I think that did stem from those little talks that we were having, him and I, of him bringing up like, well, you said you were going to try. You said you were going to try to be turned on. You said you were going to try to make an effort to initiate things and, you know, make me feel like you actually want me. And those things just kept bubbling up. And I think that was part of that question where he had left for the weekend. And it just crossed my mind of like, what if he never came back? Like, what the fuck would I do? And I just started 
listing off all these things like, well, I would hurry up and get this done. I would get my ass back to the gym. I would start eating better. I would stop procrastinating on this. I would just totally turn my life around and who I am. And I would stop being this lazy person. And then I was like, this man is incredible. Worship him. I really do. He's amazing. Like, why would I wait for him to leave before I give him the best of me? Like, why am I holding back giving him the best of me? Like he didn't do anything wrong. And maybe if I give him more of myself, more of the best of me, maybe he'll want to give me more of the best of him. And what the hell could go wrong with that? Nothing. It's literally what I did. And I, I still do it. I still check in with myself with that. Like, well, what would I do if suddenly I was by myself and, you know, I had to figure this out on my own and I'm like, okay, I have, I see these areas in my life that I need to improve on right now. And I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to get started on them. And then, you know, six months down the road, I might ponder the same question. And I don't think it's coming from a place of like, I don't think I ask myself, what would I do if he left me? I don't think that's the question I ask myself anymore, but like, am I giving my best to him right now? in these areas, in all of these areas, and where can I improve? And I just keep asking myself that, and I keep working on it and keep working towards being a better me, not just to give him a better me, but for my dang self, you know, because what the hell, why not? We have one life in this body and why waste one fucking moment of it? Not getting what you want, not being the person you want to be. Why waste it? This is the only opportunity I get in this body. Plus, I feel like you lose your identity as we were talking about when you become a mom. It's like you identify as, you know, the wife, the partner, like you're just one unit, you feel like, and that it totally takes over. I love the saying, getting lost in the sauce. You're just his wife and their mom and you take her to dance on Tuesdays and on Wednesdays you do this and there's no like personal identity of like, well, what do I like? What are my hobbies? Do I have hobbies? Do I... I used to love to read. Do I still like to read? Once last time I had 10 minutes alone, uh, my, I want to get my nails done. Am I, is that okay? Can I do that? Or is that taking away from my family? If I go spend 45 minutes at the nail salon? Yeah. I think it's so easy to get um, lost of who you are and become just that title of like, I'm a mom and a wife. Like, no, you're still your own person, but maybe you're different than you were before but who are you? Who are you now? I think it's a, an evolution of self-discovery your entire life and constantly evolving into your next level of who you are by growing, you know, experiencing, growing, leveling up. I love saying leveling up. Yeah. That's what I think. Do you have like a ritual or something where you make sure you have your own time now? Uh, I have so much time to myself. My kids are in school all day. My husband works all day. I've got a maid in the shade, but I am a reflector and I am an empath and I do need to recharge by myself. So if I feel like I'm not getting enough time by myself, I will literally just like come in my bedroom and shut the door and put my headphones on and say, you know, I just need like a half an hour by myself. I have no problem asking for that. And I encourage my children to do the same and my husband too. You know, I think everybody needs time by themselves to recharge. And I don't feel guilty for taking time for myself ever. Even if it's, um, like I said, going to get my nails done. 
I used to fight it tooth and nail, like, no, I'm not supposed to. I'm taking away something from my family. No, I need this to fill my own cup so I can give more to others. So it's super important to me. And I, like I said, I think it's really important to make sure my children know that they get to have their alone time too. And especially if we've gone to like, let's say it's been a really busy weekend and birthday parties or like family celebrations. And we're just around a lot of people. I get really anxious. I remember last Easter, we had Easter on Saturday and Sunday. And after that night on Sunday, I was so anxious and like, and I couldn't figure out why I'm like, Oh, it's because I've been overwhelmed with people and family, you know, and it was just a lot and I needed to recharge. And so if it's my children that are really busy, I encourage them, like, just go in your room, watch whatever you want to watch and just be by yourself and recharge your batteries. And that's okay. And I want that to be instilled in them so that they never feel guilty when they get older for wanting to, you know, take time for themselves. I really love that. I don't hear many people say they do that for their kids, tell their kids to take some time for you. Yeah. I don't know where I got that. Like I said, I always am trying to be like introspective of like, what did I need at their age? Because I feel like we're all going to fuck up our kids some way, somehow, just because this is, we're just human. We're just doing the best we can, but I just want to do my best. And I don't want them to look back and feel like I didn't do my very best because it's, all I can do is my best. And I'm constantly asking myself, what more could I be doing? Or what, how could I be serving them differently? What could they be needing differently? And it's just learning as you go. I mean, I've never done this before. You know, none of us have, we're all just figuring it out as we go, which is why a lot of us are fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) But I just want to do my best. With your first or with your second, um, did you feel like when you gave birth that your body just wasn't as sexy anymore? Was that part of why you didn't want to have sex? Or was it the whole, you're not supposed to have sex for a while, so then you kind of get used to it after birth? Both of those. So even like during pregnancy, like, ugh, I feel like a whale. I've never felt like this before. Of course not. And then, yeah, after, I was so self-conscious. My clothes didn't fit. And even like the clothes that I had, They were from the old me, the girl before children. And, oh, this is a whole, this is the whole thing we're talking about here. So I like refused to buy new clothes because I felt bad. It was like a whole thing. So I wore the same clothes, but I hated them and I didn't fit well. And my body was different. So yes, I did not want him to see me naked and I was not comfortable being naked. I was not comfortable in my own skin. And to be honest, like I didn't even, it was all in my head. It wasn't even like a physical thing, but it felt, I felt so unattractive, so different, so um, just undesirable. But seriously, I probably don't look, I probably didn't look much different than I look now when I look, think back, but it was definitely a physical thing of like, no, I don't want you to see me. And that was part of that big talk that we had. Um, the big fight that was part of it. It was like, it all came out. I'm like, this is how I feel. Like, I don't want you to see me. So it was definitely a big physical part. That was a whole process of healing and releasing and, you know, building my own self-confidence again. 
back to who I was again, this new person. I was a new person. I was a mom now, a whole different person. That was a very real, raw, and healing experience. Would you say that you both were more touchy-feely with each other before? Like cuddling like crazy and just intimate a lot more? Absolutely. I think before kids came along and when my body was still my own and I was only like in my early 20s. I I got pregnant when I was, I had just turned 24. Um, In fact, it was like the day after my 24th birthday, I found out I was pregnant. So I was, you know, early 20s, just carefree, no self-confidence issues. And yeah, totally. We wouldn't go a day without touching each other. You know, we weren't even living together. If we would go a couple of days without sex, we'd both be like, holy shit, I really need this now. And then after kids, after babies, your life is just so different. And you kind of get lost in the sauce of like, who am I? Who am I now? Because I'm no longer that girl. I'm no longer that 23-year-old carefree. Now I'm this woman who has these humans to take care of and run a household and be this wife and this whole new dynamic. So before kids, it was like so carefree. I like didn't hold back in the bedroom. I was just myself. And literally all of that changed after kids. It was almost like the... I guess it, I wouldn't say it was like a light switch because it was really slow growing, but man, it grew a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more until it was this massive thing that was just like, you couldn't avoid. That's another thing is I think it's super common what I just said in a lot of marriages when they have kids and a lot of the times they just keep avoiding it and thinking that it'll just go away and it really doesn't. And then that ends in you know, a lot of resentment. Sometimes they split up. There's all sorts of different negative scenarios, but I'm really thankful that we took the initiative to be aware of that's what was happening and fix it. Do you at all work with some people that are pregnant right now that are looking to make sure that they don't lose that intimacy? Yeah. It's funny. I just talked to a lady yesterday who was eight months pregnant and that was her main thing was this is what's happening right now. You know, we're not as touchy-feely as we have been. I'm uncomfortable, but I don't want to get so far off track that we forget what we're doing and it just keeps growing and growing. Also, I think it's important to state that it's okay to feel like that too. It's okay to, like I said, it's seasons. It's, I don't think it's um, normal or I guess common to have the same sex drive every single day for years and years and years. It goes up and down with everybody. And I think it's important to understand that it's okay to give yourself some grace. Like you're eight months pregnant. Great that you're having this awareness that you want to keep the spark going. You don't want this to get so far off track that it's really hard to get back on track afterwards when you're ready. But at the same time, it's okay to not want sex right now. And it doesn't mean that that's how it's always going to be. It doesn't mean that he's going to go looking for it somewhere else. And it doesn't mean that you're always going to feel that way, but it's okay. But so yeah, I, I have worked with pregnant women that are concerned about getting so far off track. And I think it's great to have that awareness and to be conscious of wanting to maintain the intimacy, even though, her body isn't really wanting to be touched or it's not always about sex. It's intimacy and intimacy is not sex. 
it's being close, sitting next to each other on the couch, holding hands, rubbing each other's backs. It doesn't have to lead to sex. I think that's a really great thing to talk about with pregnant women that maybe their doctors say you can't have sex right now. Maybe they're a high risk or they're on bed rest or whatever it is. And to feel stressed about that, it's okay to just be aware of it and know that this is just the season that you're in and it'll come back as long as you stay aware of it, which if you're seeking help for it, that's awareness. Exactly. And I think there's a lot of guilt and shame and feeling not into it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's another big thing is, and guilt and shame about wanting it too. Like, oh, I really want it, but I feel ashamed that this is what I want. What is he going to think about me? I feel gross. And then also, yeah, on the other hand of like, oh, there's something wrong with me. He's going to leave me. I feel so ashamed that I don't want this. And it's just, as long as you're keeping the lines of communication open and you're being honest with each other, that creates the conversation. It keeps it aware and you're both working towards it so that it's not like, oh, she doesn't care anymore or, oh, he doesn't want me anymore. It's like, no, we discussed this and this is just what we're doing right now. And we both still want it, but we're just, you know, this is where we're at today and we're going to reevaluate again and keep this growing and keep this line of communication open and this awareness going. I love that you were talking about the example of if I don't want to have sex, then he might leave me. Inner work is a huge part of healing the sexless marriage, and it makes me even ponder, could it also be abandonment issues or possibly a fear of rejection that is causing men or women to not ask for what they want in the bedroom? Yeah, I think you're right, which is, again, something that I had to process. There was a lot of guilt and shame that I processed um, after we had that big fight, I keep calling it, where I was like... I had all this shit that was coming up from way before we even met each other. And it was just now coming up where before it wasn't even an issue. It was just like, you know, part of my life. And then here we are married for years and he's wondering why the hell I don't want him anymore. And it had nothing to do with him, like nothing to do with him at all. He was amazing. He was super helpful. It was my own body issues. And then this other part of guilt and shame of guilt of feeling that he wasn't getting what he needed and wanted and what I wanted to give him. And then shame about like things that had happened even before we were married, before we had met, even things like feeling like I had been taken advantage of by different men, things like that. So I think that's really important to discuss that the healing process, I think there is always at least some sort of portion of guilt and shame. And a lot of it, like you said, is from childhood or, you know, adolescent years, teenage years before you got married. And then trying to process that as the, the trying to process that as this married woman who is not supposed to like these, for lack of a better word, dirty things, or trying to process these things that maybe you had done or had happened to you. And you're trying to be this good girl, mom, wife, and you're trying to fit all the puzzle pieces together. And it's just creating this inner conflict. And you're thinking there's something wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with you. It's just this shit that's coming up that needs to be healed so you can grow through it and get more connected with your partner. So, yeah. Did you end up going shopping at some point? Cause we were talking about how your clothes don't fit who you are now. Did you figure out, 
what does this woman look like now that I am? Like, what is sexy for me now? What makes me feel sexy? Years and years and years of putting up a fight of, well, I'm a mom now. I can't buy myself things. I can't treat myself to things. I finally slowly started doing that. And I really think that it started when I started going to the gym 10 years ago. I, my son will be 10 in May. And right after he was born is when me and my husband became gym rats. We still are. And I think it started there. Like, oh, okay, I can actually go to the gym. And this is literally just for me. Well, I guess I can buy myself some clothing. What do I even like these days? And that's another like evolution. Um, The way that I dress, it becomes, I did struggle with that for a while, actually, of um, moms aren't supposed to dress this way. I think I need to buy longer shorts now. I'm not supposed to wear crop tops. Maybe I shouldn't wear my fake eyelashes to the baseball game that my son is playing tonight, but it's definitely an evolution. I, I don't think it's stopped either. I'm still discovering who I am, but I've never been more certain of who I am or more secure of who I am. And I think that comes with age, to be honest. I'm 36 and every year for my birthday, I just... I'm so thankful and grateful for every single year I get. And I feel more myself every year and more content with who I am and secure with who I am. And I think it's just age and not caring what people think about you just because you're being yourself. And if that includes what you're wearing or the makeup you have on, then I've learned through my own healing process that that really has nothing to do with me. And, you know, everything to do with their own healing process that maybe they haven't gone through yet. So it doesn't really bother me. And I don't think about it much. Sometimes I'll make a joke like, oh, we're sticking out like sore thumbs here because, you know, we're, and we're, we were younger parents. I had my first baby when I was 24, which that's not really that common anymore. A lot of my children's classmates' parents are, you know, in their 40s now. So we're kind of on the younger end. Of course, there's parents that are are our age, but we are kind of in the younger group there. And we're not super young, but a lot of times you can tell that we're different than other parents at school functions and the sports events. And yeah, but it doesn't bother me much. In fact, I kind of like it, I guess, if I can be so confident in that and say, I like to stand out and be myself and not care. And if I'm being true to myself, then I should feel good about that. Exactly. And I feel like you set a good example for your daughter. You know, it's so funny. She's 11 and she's literally a spitting image of me. And it's been such a wild ride, like cultivating our relationship together and me trying to identify what I needed at her age and trying to be that for her. And one of the things that I just love about her is, I mean, it's endless, the things I love about her, but she's just like I was and am. And like, if something becomes popular, like for example, there was like this thing going around, around Christmas time that to be a Visco girl, there was like a certain type of, you know, the way they dressed and the stuff they said. And she was anti that. She was like, heck no, I'm not a Visco girl. And that's exactly how I always was. And I don't know why I was that way. I don't know. I have no idea why, but I was always like 
when the popular things became popular all throughout school, I went the opposite direction. Like I remember, you're probably too young for this, but in high school and middle school, people loved Doc Martens and they were like these flannels. And I went the total opposite. And I was like, get me some Nikes. I want to wear wind pants. I want to like not look like the rest of you. And she's like that. And it's so cool to support that. And, and I hope that her evolution and her growth happens sooner and more deeply than mine did. So that she's so much more evolved by the time she's my age right now. I'm just going to do everything I can to cultivate that. But it's such a fun thing to watch and experience and be a part of. She's such an amazing young lady. I'm in awe of her. She's incredible. And I love how you are open with your kids about sex early on. I think that is really important. Instead of pretending it doesn't happen. I had the same type of mother as you. Yeah, I'm actually feeling a pull to talk more about that, about how we should be talking to our kids about sex. We started talking to our kids about sex a couple years ago. I think one of them brought it up, said someone said something on the bus, or maybe they were curious. I think it started with somebody maybe asking like, how are babies made? And we just kind of gave them the simple answer of like, well, they came from my womb and then you came out and just left it at that. Then they keep asking more and more questions. So as they get older, we give them a little bit more, you know, just a little bit more information. And just recently, so my son is nine. And so just recently he's become even more curious, you know, it's totally normal. And we just started talking about how sometimes people do have sex for other reasons than just to make babies. And he's like, blows his mind. Like what? (laughs) So we're just starting to talk about like, with him, he's the younger one, about how it's for pleasure. But with our daughter, I've been telling her since for several years of like, this is your body. And if things feel good, it's normal. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not shameful. You're not gross. You're not going to hell. You don't need to tell anybody about it. It is your body. It's yours. And if something feels good, then that's okay. And it's your body. It's safe to, I guess I didn't tell her it's okay to like explore and experiment, but I made it very clear and I do it over and over of like, this is your body and there's something shameful about it and things feel good. And that's just part of being a human is experiencing pleasure. So we're just starting to get, you know, into that. We haven't really got into that with my son a little bit. I'm definitely going to make sure that they know that it's their freaking birthright to experience pleasure and it doesn't make them gross or nasty and they shouldn't be ashamed of it. And it's their own power that they get to have. And I'm not ever going to stop talking about that with them. And I think it's important to share that with your children because we were not taught that because our parents weren't taught that and their parents weren't taught that, that pleasure is okay. It's just like, shh, don't talk about that. It's gross. You should only have sex to have children. And then they leave it at that. And we all know that isn't true, but that's what we grow up, you know, hearing and learning. So then when we want to experience pleasure, we think that there's something wrong with us and that I remember feeling like I was going to go to hell because I wanted to experience sexual pleasure. And I was like, oh my gosh, God is watching me and I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to go to hell. And this is terrible. And I'm such a gross person and I can't tell anybody about this. And there's something definitely wrong with me. I thought that for years and years and years and years until I was, you know, after I was married and went through this whole healing process of like, no, it's totally normal. Even as like a child, it's normal. There's, you know, evidence of babies masturbating in the womb. So, I mean, 
the most natural thing. And to feel ashamed of that is like, that's not natural. Do you feel like shame is behind women not putting their own pleasure first in the bedroom? It creates this feeling of not wanting to show yourself in the bedroom and kind of clamming up, not being able to be comfortable enough to give yourself to your partner. And by give yourself to your partner, I mean allowing your partner to give you pleasure, allowing yourself to receive the pleasure because you feel like you shouldn't because you're ashamed that that's what you want because that's what you've been taught your whole life. It creates a huge disconnect in the bedroom. Also, another thing about that same question, we are never taught women, we need certain stimulation in the bedroom. We don't really hear about different positions that give the woman clitoral stimulation, which is what over 90% of women need in order to orgasm. It's all about the man. When that happens, the sex is not great. He's the only one that orgasms and it's leaving her feeling unfulfilled, not wanting to do it again because really what's in it for her besides making her man feel good, which I mean, I get it. That feels good too, but feeling like you're not allowed to experience your own pleasure and get after it and ask for what you want definitely creates a disconnect. And like I said, why would she want to do it again? Which leads to a sexless relationship, which leads to no intimacy, which leads to, you know, um, a crack in the relationship, not communicating well, and just a whole slew of problems. There was a post that you shared a while ago with Jenna Jameson in it that made me realize that a lot of porn is for men mostly, and we barely ever see a woman being pleasured. So it's as if there's this subliminal message out there that, you know, sex is for men to be pleasured and not for women. The thing about porn with me is that, so that's one of the only ways that we've learned what sex is, what it's supposed to look like. Most porn is, if it's, you know, a male and a female, it's mostly aimed at his pleasure. Like I said, he's not like making sure that she's getting the clitoral stimulation that, that she needs. It's more about him. And so that's what we think. Like, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. Okay, so let me just do this this position that I've seen over and over on porn because this is what you're supposed to do. I'm not supposed to make it so that I'm getting what I need because that would be weird and gross. And then another thing is that a lot of women I've discovered really enjoy lesbian porn more than male-female porn just because it's more realistic in the fact that these women are actually experiencing pleasure because they're actually giving each other what they need, that clitoral stimulation, you know, for the most part. And then you get into this whole other topic of like, the really raunchy porn that's like brutal and and I just I won't even go there with that because that's so unrealistic and I don't enjoy watching that and I never have watched it and I don't see myself ever watching it and then you could get into like the whole like sex trafficking and all of that which is a whole other topic <laughs> but porn is a really tricky conversation for me because another thing that I carried shame about is that I enjoyed watching porn and it was usually lesbian porn and you're not supposed to do that. Right. And so that was another thing of like, no, I get to watch whatever the fuck I want. And it doesn't, first of all, I don't need to tell anybody about it and it doesn't make me gross. And there's nothing wrong with me if this is what turns me on. Porn can be a great tool. I think as long as it's 
realistic in the sense that it's not, you know, I, I don't even know how to approach this to be honest. No, it's fine. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be, I think it can be a great tool if used properly. Of course, there's things like sex addiction and stuff like that, which is like so out of my scope of things I talk about. So I think there's a healthy way to use porn and view porn. And then I think there's a really unhealthy way too. Do you think we need to um, let younger men know that this isn't realistic more so like in some form? Oh yeah. I, I definitely plan on talking to my son about it. And honestly, he's nine. So like, it's not that far away. Yeah, definitely. My husband and I have talked about that a few times about, well, I hope he's the one. <laughs> I don't really want to be in that conversation, to be honest. I think it'd be best coming from his dad, but we've talked about what we're going to say and how it's important to understand that this isn't realistic, especially if the woman is being like, in my eyes, abused or handled too rough. And this is not how it looks in real life. And if, and it shouldn't, and that's not what you should expect from a woman. And this is all set up in a uh, studio and it isn't like these two people are married or in love. It's just, this is part of their job and it's okay to watch it. And it, and it's okay to not feel ashamed that you feel good about it. But I really want him to know the boundaries of it. Like what is classified as, like I said, a, like maybe on the line of abusive to the women or just super disrespectful to the woman and understand that women have needs and it isn't all about him. So we are definitely going to be talking to our son about porn and maybe, I, I don't know. I hope my husband takes the reins on that with my support and maybe guides him to like, this is what's normal. And this is what it really looks like. And this is what, you know, teach him what's really unhealthy about it and how it can become an addiction. And I think it's super important to talk about, to talk to young men or, you know, teenage boys about that and how important it is to make sure that they stay aware of the fact that this can turn into something really unhealthy. Yeah, I think it's super important to talk about porn. And my daughter, too. I'm going to talk about porn with her, too. Explored it on my own. And there was that level of shame of, oh, I'm gross. I'm the only one that does this. This actually turns me on. I think there's something wrong with me. And I don't want my daughter to feel that way. So we're going to have the same type of talk, but, you know, different for each of them, I guess. And age appropriately and continuously over the years. Age appropriate. So definitely going to be a topic in our house. I can definitely relate to that. There was a lot of shame in me learning to be okay with personal pleasure for the longest time. And eventually like I got a vibrator and even that, like it took like the longest time. Then I realized once I know what I like, I can tell a guy what I like. Did you start yeah, that too? Or? Oh, I certainly did. And you want to know um, something, like I said earlier, I had like sexual I guess I wouldn't call it urges, but like curiosity, maybe when I was really young, really, really young, like before middle school, I would say I was like, something's wrong with me. I'm going to go to hell. And the funny thing is now looking back after I've gone through this process and become so open with it and so comfortable with it is boys are okay talking about masturbation. They you know, they joke about it in middle school of like, oh, you're shooting blanks. 
even perhaps in late elementary school. I don't know. I hope not. It's so early, but, um, but they joke about it and they are not embarrassed of it and they don't hide it. But women and young ladies, we deny it and we don't talk about it. We definitely don't share the fact that we actually do it, have self-pleasure because we feel so ashamed of it. And it's just so crazy, the difference in males and females. So they're fine with it. They're cool with it. Nobody tells them that it's wrong to touch themselves and make themselves feel good. But girls, nobody even talks about it. It's not even talked about. So then if she wants to do that, she feels like there's something wrong with her. So I definitely experienced that. And I'll tell you, there's no shame in my game now. I'm totally open talking about it. My husband and I talk about it. Um, I think it's super healthy to engage in self-pleasure. And I think it's necessary, especially exactly what you said is, how are you supposed to communicate to your partner what you like if you don't know what you like? And how the hell is he supposed to guess? What's he supposed to guess from? What information was he given? Porn, which does not focus on female pleasure at all. Like, how is he supposed to know if you don't guide him? And of course, through trial and error and like ex exploration, of course, both of you, that's how you learn. But none of us are born with this knowledge. We have to figure it out somehow. And there's nothing wrong with figuring out on your own through your own self-pleasure and then sharing it with your partner. I think it's beautiful and I think it's necessary. And I know my relationship has grown so much just from that little thing of like, hey, I like self-pleasure and this is what I like. And I engage in this and there's nothing wrong with it. It's not, it's not gross or dirty. I love all that. Thank you. I wasn't sure how open you want to be with everything. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of walking the line here of like, yikes. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm, if I don't want to say anything or I don't want to share anything, I just won't. But yeah, I think talking about self-pleasure is so important and it's freaking natural as hell. So no shame over here. Awesome. And do you feel like it's important to start using the right terminology too with the female anatomy? Like we always hear vagina, but we should, we should be saying vulva and yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually called it vagina for many years up until recently as well. And I was like, this is not the fucking vagina. And actually we taught our daughter that when she was really little vagina. So she was like two years old, like my vagina and people around us were like really uncomfortable. So like, Oh my God, kids aren't supposed to be saying that. Like, well, it's your body part. But you know, I wish I had the knowledge then that I have now and taught her, this is your vulva and this is your major labia this is your inner labia this is your actual vagina you know I wish I would have taught her those things but we're doing it now you know I've corrected myself but I do think it's really important and with my son he knows that that's his scrotum and inside his scrotum there are testicles and he can call them balls if he wants to I don't care but he knows that that's what they are and we talk about this stuff and it's not embarrassing in our house. It's not shameful in our house. It never has been. And that's exactly what I wanted to create. And this is way before I ever even thought about being, you know, in this position of being like a sex coach. I just wanted my children to not be ashamed of their own freaking bodies. And so far so good. And I'm going to just continue to cultivate that by talking about it a lot and never making them feel ashamed of 
anything with their body or, you know, any questions they have. I love when my daughter or my son will come to us with like a really, really deep question. Like for example, when they first were very curious about how babies are made and how did they get in there? And he just wanted to know so bad. And it, you know, you just keep sharing at an age appropriate level, but as he gets older and he keeps asking, you get to add a little bit more. And when they come to us and ask us those things, it makes me so happy and it makes me feel so good that they are open enough and feel safe enough to ask us those things and not be worried about me thinking that, what the hell, why would you ask that? That's so disgusting. You know, I just, it makes me feel really good because as a parent, as a mom, I think it's normal to question, am I doing a good job? What could I be doing different? Um, what's the trajectory? What, is there something I need to shift? And so when they come and ask us those things, it gives me a little bump of confidence of like, okay, I am doing this part correctly the way that I wanted to do it. So that makes me feel really good. And how do your kids and your husband feel about what you do? Do they understand? Oh, that's such a good question. My kids have no idea what I do. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Yeah, they don't know. Um, All they know, and I'm not ready to tell them, I don't think they need to know yet, but I do think about that a lot. And actually I think about when they're, you know, my daughter starts middle school next year, it crosses my mind of what are kids going to say? So I really want to, all they know now is that I help women and we talk about mature grown up things. That's all they know. And maybe their, you know, their minds are creating some conclusion in that of some topic but they haven't asked me any further yet. If they ask, you know, I might give them a little more, but I'm certainly not ready to divulge everything. I want to keep it in a space where this is an educating thing and this is helping moms and this is how I'm helping them. And maybe this is what they're struggling with. And I want to keep it that way where it's like, There shouldn't be anything to be embarrassed about. It does cross my mind because kids are cruel. And I have thought about consequences of that. But at the same time, like this is my life and I do have to live my life. In the end, I think my kids will understand when they're old enough to and they'll accept it and they'll get like, she helps people. She's not just talking about sex and having sex, but she's actually helping people heal things that they need to heal. And as far as my husband goes, I mean, my husband is amazing. I can't even believe I've had this conversation for this long with you this, this far. And I haven't even mentioned that he's off the charts. Amazing. I don't know how he puts up with my crazy ass, but he is, I'm so thankful for that man. He loves what I do. He is my number one supporter. He is my sounding board. I bounce things off of him. A lot of times I'll ask him for his perspective and sometimes I'll accept it and be like, Oh yeah, that's a good one. Sometimes I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, but, (laughs) but nonetheless, he's still, he'll still engage in conversations with me around this, but he loves what I do. At first, when I first started talking about these things and the more like personal I would get, I would kind of run it by him. Like, is this okay if I share this? Cause it does have to do with you. And still he's like, yeah, whatever, go ahead. Absolutely. This is your thing. Do it. He doesn't, he's, he's never been one to care about what people think. And I think that was a part, a major part of my growth is how he is just himself and with like no fucks given. 
And it kind of rubs off on me of like, yeah, why do I care what people think about me? And I mean, this is years in the process, but he's so supportive and he sees my vision and he sees what I'm doing. And so he could not be more supportive of what I'm doing. And I'm so thankful for him. It's great to have supportive partner. It's crucial. It's so, I mean, it isn't absolutely necessary, but it sure makes a difference. I totally agree on that. I probably won't include this, but like I, I realized myself like recently, cause I was watching, I don't know if you've seen it. They have that dating show going on right now where they don't see each other on that. Oh my gosh. I got sucked in. It was terrible. Yeah. Love is okay. blind. Yeah. I'm not done with it yet, but okay. yeah. So we've been watching that and then I see all the intimacy and I'm like, oh my God, no wonder I'm so bitter lately. Like I miss how like close we used to be like that. So I, cause I have a hard time sometimes with my, um, my husband has his podcast and that's like his baby. So that gets more, you know, love than me sometimes. Then we had a talk and I'm like, I understand where this is going, like coming from now, like where this bitterness is from. It's just, I need to have more time where, you know, there's more, like we talked about just holding hands. Like you end up all of a sudden just sitting across from each other on the couch. Like after you have a kid, it's so weird. And then you're like looking and you're like, I don't know how to come back to that. Like, how do I just sit next to you? I mean, it doesn't feel the same as before. It's like, it's the weirdest thing. So weird. I think, I think about people that are like, that are like in their fifties and they've been together for 30 years and they went through that same phase where they kind of stopped connecting and stopped, stopped, um, feeling, you know, doing intimate things outside the bedroom and it just grew and grew and grew. And then here they are 30 years later and they're like, just like stuck with each other. Like, yeah, we're like not happy together. We are not fulfilled, but this is just the way it is because our kids are grown and they moved out. So we'll still take vacations together, but there's not going to be any making out. And I haven't been late in three years. And it's like so sad to me. And it's literally the opposite of what I want. I want to keep getting closer and closer and by the time our kids are out of the house, like, I want to be like we were when we were in our 20s. Like, if we want to do it in the middle of the day on the fucking table, let's fucking do it. Not like this awkward, who even are we relationship. I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's like, makes me sad. But I think, I think at any point, people can steer it back as long as there's both people aware of it and wanting to try and I think just getting over that hump like you said it's weird how am I just supposed to sit next to you and like hold your hand but just do it you know just do it and get through that weirdness and the next time you do it won't it won't be as weird and then the next time it'll be even more normal and then before you know it you're like getting closer and closer yeah I think it's we also like I didn't think about it till now it's we forget that our husband has become a new person too yeah because your focus is just solely on your kid and yourself. You're like, I don't even know who I am. And you forget that his whole world has been turned upside down as well. Like he doesn't even have the same woman that he had before. Yeah. That's a really great point actually. And I know you started with mompreneurs and then you kept gradually finding your niche. Can you tell me more about that journey? Yeah. So I still kind of focus on moms that are entrepreneurs it's more like a thing of like, that's who I'm attracting. I don't know if it's because that's who I am myself, but, or if it's because a lot of times women that are entrepreneurs, they are self-starters. They are women 
the type of people that go out seeking solutions. They are the type of people that are, you know, interested in self-improvement and evolving and leveling up. So I don't know if that's why. And also I feel like the language that I use, like I do drop the F-bomb and I'm just myself. And I think that for moms that are not entrepreneurs and do not think like entrepreneurs, they probably don't resonate with me a whole lot as much as entrepreneurs do. Maybe it's the fact that um, they have never been taught that it's okay to talk the way that you want to talk and just be yourself. They're still living under that guise of, I'm a good girl, I'm a good mom, and this lady says fuck, and she's not my cup of tea, which is great. So I guess my evolution has been, I guess, interesting and kind of going back and forth, like, well, who do I serve and who can I serve best? And I do think it comes down to people that want to, that are actually out seeking improvement. And a lot of times it's entrepreneurs because that's what we do. We, this whole entrepreneur thing is all about self-discovery and leveling up yourself. I don't think it's as much about like strategy or any of those like hustle. It's just like personal development on crack. So maybe that's why I'm so drawn to entrepreneurial moms and not so much just like a stay at home mom, you know, doesn't really seek out self-improvement because I know when I was stay at home mom, I did feel like something was missing. Like, what am I doing? But at the same time, I wasn't like seeking anything out. I was just like getting through the days, you know, I had two babies, like, okay, now we wake up, now we eat, now we're going to go to the gym, you know, and just this rote day. There was no like, well, let me work on myself. Let me, you know, spend some time reading this book. Let me join this program. So I think that's a big part of it is just the seekers, the people that want to improve their relationships. They just tend to be entrepreneurs. They, they don't fit themselves into a box. They think differently, which is me to a T. And if someone wants to start working with you, how do they do that? Well, I'm on Facebook. That's my main jam. And I have this amazing group called Sex Talk with Moms, which is where I hang out 90% of the day. It's a private group for women. And I screen the people that come in. And I'm very selective. I just denied three women today, just on the fact that they did not answer the entry questions. And I let them sit for like several days and they didn't answer it. So I didn't let them in. And it's just a beautiful community that I've created. And I'm so thankful for you, for everybody that's in there. It's such an amazing group of women. And we've really created this space where the taboo talk is not so taboo. And I think women are excited to come in there and see what's happening today and to share things that they're going through, share things that they don't really necessarily get to share with let's say their neighbor or even like their husband. So that's where I'm hanging out all the time is in my group. And um, yeah, people can just send me a message or join my group and we can connect that way. And you have that amazing freebie list that they can get once they join. Yeah. I've got an amazing freebie going on Four ways to turn yourself on 
and it's like a progression. You start with step one, you go through the steps, and it's meant to be like a long-term guide, and it's really beautiful. And I'm also launching a free challenge. Um, it's going to go live on Monday, I believe. And um, I haven't divulged the details of that yet, but it's still in the works. But that's coming up, and I'm so excited. And there's going to be a prize at the end. I think I'm going to give away a coaching session. So I'm freaking pumped about that. As soon as we get off of this, that's what I'm going to go work on. I'm so excited to do that. I'm sure that's going to come out amazing. I've gained so much from your group, especially starting to identify as I am, you know, I'm one again. I'm not this unit. Like oh, I went. Like, I don't know if you remember, I went to that bachelorette party and I actually had fun. I Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I totally remember that. That wasn't that long ago. Yeah, that made me really happy. That was a beautiful um, evolution of you and it's beautiful to watch. So thank you for sharing that with us, by the way. Yeah. You're welcome. Did you want to talk more about your program or? Well, right now I'm just doing one-to-one coaching and um, how that looks is different for everybody. So if there is interest, just shoot me a message. We'll get together and see if we're a good fit for each other. But it's totally independent on the person and what they need and what where they want to go. So I actually just launched that this week and I'm so excited about it. So. Um, pumped about that is there anything that you wish I asked you or not so much I think this has been a really beautiful conversation um I love what you're doing I love the work you're doing I think you're an amazing human we've been connected for a few years I think or at least a couple and I love your energy I love being your energy I love what you bring to not just my group but just to even your people I think you're an amazing human and I think what you're doing is so important with this podcast and with what you're doing online. You're just a beautiful woman and I'm so thankful to be in your energy. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you. You've helped me so much to evolve as a mom. You really have and to become me again. And that's like the key thing. That's how you become a good mom and a good wife. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Check out Teresa's group, Sex and Intimacy Talk for Moms and Business on Facebook. And make sure you share this podcast and subscribe. Enjoy your day.